This is my husband, Paul Stelic. I'm Sarah. We have three little um, boys ourselves. And I told Paul, I felt like an hour and 45 minutes is a long time. When Kegler told us like we were going to be in here from 9 to 10.45, I was like, wow, um, that's impressive. So um, I told Paul, I felt like there was really only one way to kick off an hour and 45 minutes of talking about preschool boys, and it's what we would do at the Stellick House if we were going to sit down um, with our boys for any length of time. So I need everybody to stand up. And at the Stellick House, we, if you have something you're drinking, I would put it down right now. Um, uh, at the Stellick House, we call this getting our energy bugs out. It's very, very key in preschool boys. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to jump rope a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, just right in your place. Don't like, you know, pull a hamstring or anything like that. There's no physician disclaimer at the beginning of this thing. But this is how we start anything when I need the boys to be focused and listening. We get all of our energy bugs out. So this would continue for 15 minutes if you were one of my boys. But since you're not, I won't make you do that. So you can have a seat. <laughs> and we'll talk more about that later. But... um. That is how we start anything where we have to focus ourselves at the Stellic House. Um, we do have three boys. They are, Noah is our oldest. He just turned six. He'll be starting first grade this fall. Sam is our second. He is four and a half. And then Ben is our littlest one who just turned three. Can you all hear her in the back? Really? I told it, I, These mics were just for recording, not to hear, but we can make it so that they I can be him, for hearing. Oh, I don't need amplification. I'll be loud, but apparently I'm not loud. That's okay. Um, he'll he'll boost it up back there. Oh, wow, that was fast. Is that better? Excellent. Okay. So. What about um, me? Can you hear me? Is that too loud for anybody? Okay. <laughs> like wow. Um, Okay, so preschool boys. So our boys are all 18 months apart. Um, and if you are like us, um, if you have one boy and you take them out of the store, you might get comments about, oh, what a sweet little boy. Boys will keep you busy. You know, if you have two boys and you're out at the store, you probably get comments like, ooh, I bet you have your hands full. And, ooh, boys have a lot of energy. And then if you take three boys to the store, people are like, oh, my and they just like, well, sometimes they're the craziest things. I had a guy come up to me when I was checking out of the grocery store one time, and he was in a wheelchair. He wheeled up to me as I'm paying, and the boys were playing, and he was like, three boys. I was like, yeah, yeah. He was like, are they all yours? I was like, yeah, they are. And he was like, oh, well, you poor woman. My mother had three, and it caused her to drink. And I was like, wow. Like, and he just wheeled off, and I was like, you know, like... At, if I wasn't paying for my things, I probably would have gone and had something to say to him. Uh, but, like, it's, it comes from a place, I mean, it sounds crazy to say that, and sometimes people will say funny things or whatever, but it comes from a place that's, that's true because people do see boys as challenging and as a lot of work, and they, they are a lot of work. Sometimes they do have their own challenges. But, um, and people will ask me all the time, oh, are you so sad you didn't get a girl, or are you going to try for a girl, or things like that. And I always tell them, like, I love being a boy mom. I, I love it. Boys are great, and they're so much fun. And there are things about boys that, um, that are just helpful to know about boys, and we'll talk some about that today. Um, 
But so uh, just real quick on the introduction yeah, 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 yeah. portion, just a couple of y'all just came in. So um, Sarah and I, uh, three boys, three, four, and six. Uh, we've been married almost nine years, um, and we actually met here on staff at Watermark uh, ten years ago uh, when we both worked here. Um, and then, um, so now Sarah is at home full time with the kids, and uh, I work here now at Watermark. Uh, leading Watermark Films, which is our feature film ministry. Um, I just came back on staff in February to do that. I had been gone for three, four, five years doing some other things. So, um, so our hope for this morning is just to give you, um, one, just kind of a biblical vision for how to really invest in this time well, um, and then, two, to kind of talk about specifically moms and dads with boys and how do you build into them and then to lastly talk a little bit about just some of the real practical things about boys how you know that are just different boys are their own little creature and um that will hopefully be helpful and then give you plenty of time at the end to ask questions and you know talk about different things we'll have a couple of resources um to throw out there for you but um but I think the overall the big picture um is that we would probably um, say is foundational to just parenting in general. Um, It's found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7, where um, Moses tells the Israelites, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all of your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Um, And he talks quite a bit through Deuteronomy as he's reminding the people who have just come through, spent 40 years in the desert because of their their rebellion and, um, and their distrust of the Lord. And now they're about to go in the promised land. So Deuteronomy, he's telling them all these things that the Lord wants them to know about who he is and how they should live. And he tells them over and over and over, teach these things to your children teach these things. He says in Deuteronomy 11, remember, your children weren't in Egypt. They didn't see the way God rescued you. They didn't see the way God provided for you in the desert. Remember, your kids haven't seen the Lord provide in all of these ways, and it is your responsibility to teach them who he is, what his law requires of them, what his call on their life is. Um, In Psalm 78, Um, The psalmist writes about this same thing, and he says in verse uh, verse 2, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from old, what we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and, and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born, and then they would in turn tell their children so that they would put their confidence in God and would not forget his deeds and would not keep his commands. And, um, and so that's a, it's a big call. It's a big call. And, um, you know, our society is kind of all over the map in terms of how we approach children, but biblically God tells us children are a gift from God. In Psalm 127 it says children are a blessing he says, the responsibility to, to teach your kids and train them up is yours. 
not the schools, not watermark, not the responsibility is that one day you will stand before the Lord and you are accountable for, for how you trained your child up. And these early years are the foundational years. You are laying the foundation for everything, their understanding of God, their understanding of the world, their communication, how they deal with conflict, how they see scripture, how they relate to it in their lives, how they deal with people, how they love, serve, what they respect, where they're bound. Everything is being laid right now. I think people tend to think like the older you get, the deeper things get, which is true. But, and I think sometimes the early years are kind of relegated to just, it's just playing. Or it's just, you know, I'm not really into, you know, Legos, so there's not much I can do with them, you know. Um, which there is a lot of playing, and, and life does look different in these early years. But this is the most formative, foundational, impressionable time that you will ever have with your kids. And there's this vast amount of knowledge that God wants you to impress upon your children to be, one translation says, to be diligent to train your children um, in the ways of the Lord. So, massive responsibility, overwhelming task, um, probably feels a little bit, um, a little bit daunting. But I just also want to say that... Um, God knows our weakness as well. He knows our limitations. There's no expectation that we can be um, everything our children need at all times and all places and all ways. That's the Lord's job. You know, Psalm 127 starts out by saying, unless the Lord labors the house, they labor in vain who build it. Um, you know, so this season is so much about our dependence on the Lord, our finding our wisdom in his word, our strength from his spirit, our direction and guidance from his people as we seek to impress the ways of the Lord on our children and grow them up. And so, you know, um, if you flip through this handout, you'll notice that, you know, it's broken up into several different things that we're going to go over. And, and the second section there, spiritual context for raising boys, is the largest section. And, you may, and I don't know what your expectation was in coming of like, I want to know how to get them to eat their dinner. Uh, you know, I want to figure out how do I get them to stop arguing? Um, you know, and we want to get to those very practical things. Um, and, and we will and have time for that. And, and there are sections in there that we'll talk about that. But, but it really is, we wanted to go, you know, it's, uh, and, and I wanted to look at Psalm 127, just some of the things that have really guided us um, in the, you know, why are we, you know, because it says here in Psalm 127, like Sarah just said, unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is useless. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning to late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man <clears throat> are like sharp arrows in a warrior's hands. How happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. And so as we look at this and we just go, what is the context for everything we're doing in parenting from the choices we make of how do we discipline, what do, you know, where do we send them to school, all those things you're going to get to, but even at a younger age, what is God calling us to as parents? And so, it's, so we want to sort of set the stage for what is the goal, what's the target, you know, if if young children are like arrows in a warrior's hands and your quiver may be full with one or with six, I don't know. Um, ours is really full with three. Uh, and so 
but you just have that visual of how are you going to shoot them? You know, what, what direction are they going to go? Um, and then what, what is the target? Where, you know, and so God lays that out for us. And so um, that's what we want to really walk through here uh, because it's, it's that framework that matters now um, in such a tremendous way. Uh, even at such a, a, a young, young age, as you know, they're just sponges. They're taking everything in. Um, and so it's just vital to every decision that's going to be coming down the road. Um, so let's just jump in here and we'll move through this. And, and if you have questions as we go, just ask uh, And as it relates to the things that we're moving through. And then... Um, and then at the end, we'll come back to you and have time for questions um, if we didn't cover something you were hoping for or, um, or anything like that. And this is not um, an exhaustive list at all, but um, I just thought, you know, I picked several things that we have really um, emphasized with our boys that we kind of hold up. You know, I, I wrote down, um, you know, at the beginning of this section, to begin with the end in mind, little boys are men in the making, so plant seeds now that lead to the fruit of godliness later. Um, I just, you know, the... God is going to have a certain expectation for how a man lives. And a man's not just going to figure that out one day when he turns 21 and, and understands um, how to be a godly man. There are seeds you plant now to, that will hopefully um, hopefully bear fruit of godliness later. Not that, any, not that anything is guaranteed. Not that you can, if you just do this, 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 you will be able to produce this, this, this in your son. He has his own walk with the Lord to to find and pursue and cultivate, and the Lord will, will hopefully um, have that fruit born in his life. But we need to be diligent to do everything we can to sow those seeds, to hold up certain things as values, as virtues, as things we are striving for. And so, um, you know, the first one we put down there was, um, was love, which, um, which I defined as a deep affection that translates into serving the good of another. It's it is affection. It's the heart. It comes from within, but it translates into action. It's not just how we feel. It has an outward manifestation. Um, you know, so obviously, first and foremost, if my kids just didn't get anything else, I want them to have a love for God. You know, we just read in Deuteronomy 6, um, you know, Moses' words to the Israelites, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And then the New Testament, Jesus reiterates that as the greatest commandment. You know, everything else is, is kind of summed up in love God and love people. And so, like, if I could just boil everything down to, you know, to something, we, that was one of the Bible verses, one of the first Bible verses we memorized was Mark 12:30, love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Um, you know, and, and a love for others. And this one, um, this one, you know, I tried to write a little, a little practical note at the end of each section on how you might um, encourage this or how you might talk about this. And um, and love is love is one of those things that you can't just, um, you know, I can tell them you need to do this for your brother, and he may do it. He may not be doing it out of a loving spirit. I can't force him to love. You know, it's 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 kind of hard. Um, but I think one of the greatest things you can do is model it for your kids. I mean, they need to see you loving your spouse. They need to um, know and feel that you love them by the way you talk to them, by the way that you spend time with them, by the way you prioritize them. Um, they should hear you talk about your love for Jesus 
and why you're doing certain things. You know, when you do something, um, you know, tell them, man, I'm doing this for this person because Jesus loves this person, so I love this person. I mean, you, you need to give them the language all the time so that they understand that your actions are not just, I'm doing this because I have to do this. No, I'm doing this because I love God. And God tells me that this is important for me, so because I love him, I'm going to do this. So that they can kind of, in their head, start understanding that, that there is a heart of love that expresses itself in action. They need to see that between your, you know, in, within your family, outside of the family. Um, and so I feel like... Um, and then when you, when you see them doing something for their, you know, for their brother, for their sister, for a friend, man, praise them for that. I love the way that you just showed love for your sister. When you gave her this, I could see, you know, you, you see it when they get it. So make sure that you really praise them for that and help them, like, verbally articulate, when you did this, I could see you were loving your sister or you were loving your friend to think of sharing your toy with them and um, to just kind of help them understand the, that this is what that is and this is why we do the things we do. Um, the second thing that, um, that I put down was a biblical perspective, which, um, which I think of as just living in light of God's word. We tie everything back to scripture. And if we can't tie it back to scripture, then it probably means we need to look at it and see if it's really you know, something we need to be pushing anyway. We find ourselves in that situation where it's like we're just on the boys a lot and we'll say, are we saying no when we really don't need to say no? Like, are we making some rules that are really just about our own convenience or makes it easier on us that we could kind of lighten up some? So we're constantly evaluating what we tell the boys and, and what we're teaching them by saying, you know, is there a verse that we know that says this, that encourages this? One of the, another one of the first verses we had them memorize was, Psalm 119.9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I mean, even our two-year-old will say, you know, how can a young man keep his way pure? And he'll, you know, recite it. And we talk about how, th- that's how we know how to live, is by God's word. We don't know how to live if we don't have God's word. And so it's a big deal that we read God's word, we memorize scripture like crazy. Psalm 119.105 is another one that we've memorized. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We talk about, man, if it's dark outside... We can't see where we're going. And the Bible says God's word is like a light. It shows us where to walk. It shows us how to live. Um, So, you know, scripture memory to us is huge. And they have the ability. You wouldn't believe the ability they have to memorize right now and to remember. I'm always shocked at how even my littlest one will pick things up. And I'm not even trying to teach him. I'm, I'm working with his younger, with his older brothers because I don't even know that he's capable of it. And then he'll be rattling off all these verses because he's just heard me with the older ones. And they'll know dozens of verses and that you work on for like 10 minutes. Um, and so I'm always you know, telling myself, what, what's the next verse we could be learning when I see behavior that is, um, you know, out of line with, you know, with, with what Scripture calls us to. And so, like, as you look at your kids, you might think, you know, what are some of the, of the issues that they're dealing with right now, whether it's sharing, whether it's obeying, whether it's having a good attitude, um, you know, and find verses that are specific to that so that you can then, when they get into that situation, it's not just a matter of, punishment for that behavior. It's not just a matter of you didn't do this, so go sit in time out. 
you can say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? Are you um, loving your brother the way Jesus loved you? Or are you having the same attitude that Christ Jesus had in Philippians 2.5? Or are you doing everything without complaining or arguing, like Philippians 2.14 says? You know, and we're, we're constantly trying to tie it back to, we don't just do things for arbitrary reasons. We do them because God's word lays it out as this is the way we should do things. And, and the thing is, know that it's, it's, it's never too young. I mean, I think that's what sort of, in the beginning for me, I was like, like with a two-year-old, really? Can I really be doing this? You know, and yes. Um, you know, because one of the things I was just having some time with my four and six-year-old, and it gets, you know, as they get older, as you can talk about stuff a little bit more, but, um, but one of the things we talk about was, because I think it all goes back to what do you want for your kids? You know, and it shouldn't just be what do you want? What does God want for your boys? You know, and so even in Psalm 1, um, talking about the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with scoffers, but they delight in doing everything the Lord wants. Day and night they think about his law. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season without fail. Their leaves never wither, and in all they do they prosper. Who wouldn't want that to describe their son when he's, you know, 18, 25, 35, but also when he's five, going into kindergarten, and that, that's the reality of wanting, we want folks to understand is that, you know, our oldest just finished kindergarten. Well, you know, he was all of a sudden out of our care for eight hours a day, and he had to, he now had to decide, am I going to, you know, stand around with sinners? Am I going to join in with mockers? I mean, that happens when you're five. And if and you've got to start early helping them figure out how to process that in, in their own language and in their own time. And so, um, you know, and so I, I was talking about this. I read this verse with my boys the other day, and we were sitting outside in the morning when we did it. And, you know, and, and it's a struggle, you know, because we're just talking and I'm talking to them. And, you know, it's almost like, you know, in the movie Up, you know, if y'all seen that with the dogs, like, well, my name is Squirrel. You know, and the dog just looks away. It's like, that's what it is with the boys. We're talking the other day. We were in the car driving. I was taking them somewhere, and I was talking with Noah, and we were having this deep, what I felt like this deep, meaningful discussion. And he was like, yeah, Dad, because I know Jesus. Train! <laughs> you know, and I was like, what? And, and, and I was like, yeah, but he's like, train! And that's all he said. And I mean, and I was like, okay. But they get it, you know, and it's like it just takes time. You just have to do it over and over and over and over. Um, but so I'm doing, so I, I'm talking with them and we're standing there and trying to do this object lesson and, you know, and, and I ask, you no, know, there's this big giant oak tree and I go over, I go, try to push the tree over. And he goes over and he can't push the tree and then there's this other little tree and they can go pull on it and it almost falls over. So I can talk about how, you know, God wants us to be like these big, strong trees. What do we get from the tree? You know, what is it? Oh, shade. Yeah, great. We can hang the swing in it. It can support us. It's got strength. What about this little one? And, you know, they kind of got it, right? I wasn't sure. And then later that day, I'm taking a walk with Sam, my four-year-old, and, um, and I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but then he goes, yeah, so then I can be like a big, strong tree like Daddy. And I was like, ah, oh, you were listening. Excellent. Um, and, and so the, thing, the practical side of what Sarah's talking about is the scripture memory, and there's a resource for this, and Watermark has it. Uh, I don't know how we get it to you. Is We learn scripture verses by singing. 
I am not musical. Many of you know that my wife is. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean our kids are. Uh, but they can sing. And so when I'm reciting these verses in my mind, you know, it's reckless words pierced like a sword, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Reckless words. So, you know, and, and so we use that verse, you know, Proverbs 12:18. we use that a lot. Um, and so the first time we did it, you know, does our two-year-old really understand what does reckless mean? Well, we've got to talk through that. You know, pierced like a sword. Well, they've never been pierced like a sword, but we play swords, and they know what it's like when their brother whacks them in the side of the head. I mean, that hurts, doesn't it? Well, what about your heart? If you stab somebody, oh, it'd tear me open, I would bleed, right? That's bad, right? And so, um, that, and so there's a, a, a dozen or so. Um, right, the starting blocks, memory verses that your kids learn throughout the year, um, you know, I had taught them all to my boy. I had just made up a little tune and to each one of those and taught them to my boys that way. And then, um, so I told Ginger I would record it. And, I mean, it's a real rough, just a voice and a piano. But it's, um, those verses are on Watermark Radio. If you, if you go to Watermark's website to the resources, which will take you to Watermark Radio, um, I think if you just search for starting block memory verses or something like that, um, you'll be able to get all of those verses. And, and so here's the little equation I, I want to walk us through is that you've got to know what, what the end goal is, which it's, you know, Psalm 1. That's one of the many examples that we'll share, you know, Psalm 1. That's what you want for your kids. Um, and then another one for us is Colossians 3. Now, this is when I come up with the tunes. Um, they're a little bit different. They're not quite as musical, but our family's learning Colossians 3, 12 through 17, and so we're a couple verses into it. Um, but, uh, you know, so, um, you know, I've, I'm a little more dynamic. And so, you know, but you'll remember this, you know, and so, and, and the kids love it, and so we're just having fun, and so we're in the car one day, and we're just singing, and I just start making it up, and so, you know, so it's, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's the first verse. My three-year-old can, could do it after like five minutes. Now, I mean, when he can't really understand him, you know, then God hold you, I'm a key, you know. But it's, but it's the, and then you're walking by him three days later while he's doing a dinosaur puzzle, and you just hear, and you're like, I'm so glad that that's what you're doing. You know, it's planting those seeds. And so then it's when we're out front the other day and we're, you know, they're, we've lit them a cul-de-sac and they're out there and they've got their little bikes and they're not taking turns. And one of them is, says something really mean to the other one. And I go, hey, guys, come over here, sit down. Come on, let's have a seat. And they sit down and I'm like, Reckless words pierce like a sword. You know, they know. And now we can talk about that. What did you just do? Did that just pierce your breath? So that it's, so instead of me just saying, you know, you know, we don't talk like that. You know, just don't be mean to your brother. You know, there's a context for it that ties back to why. Well, because it's scripture and we talk about that. They know it's from God's word. We talk about that we're going to live by God's word because it, and so that's what we're trying to do. Now, the reality is, even as we're going through this, it reminded me of all the things I'm not doing, you know. And so it's some days are better than others. 
And, and so this is what we're striving for. You know, just like you guys, you know, we have not even come close to perfecting this. It's just this is what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Um. Yeah, so we, we're always tying things back to Scripture um, whenever we can. Um, another, another thing that we, um, we feel like is a big deal in raising boys is raising boys to be men of integrity who, who do what they say they're going to do. You know, I, we defined integrity as the state of being sound um, or wholesome. Like in, we get the, um, the word integer from the same root, a whole number. You know, there's no duplicity there. Um, you look at something and it is what you think it is. Um, Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. Um, we quote Matthew 5.37 a lot. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're going to do something, do it. Um, and, and even at a young age, I mean, I think sometimes we just kind of excuse. They're wishy-washy. They go back and forth. They want this. No, they don't. Yes, they do want it. No, they don't. We talk about how that's... That's a, an area where we can teach them in their tangible ways they understand, no, when we say something, we do it. So think about it before you say it. You know, our, one of our you know, kids will offer a dinosaur to the other one, and then he'll go to take it, and he's like, no, you can't have it after all. No, that's not okay. Well, I changed my mind. No, it's not, that's not okay. If you didn't want to offer that to him, then you shouldn't have offered it to him. But if you offered it to him then I need you to be a man of your word and give it to him. You told him you would do it, and we're going to do what we say. And those are the words that I've used. And it's not always quoting scripture. It's just but things that you can ultimately tie back. And I mean, and that started, I wrote down this last, I mean, all the way back to when they were very, very young, you know, in the morning, asking at breakfast, do you want apple juice or orange juice? And, you know, you know, apple. Oh, you start going, no orange. Okay. <laughs> Apple. <laughs> and, and, and I even at that age, before they even had words, you know, beyond that, just saying, we're not going to be wishy-washy. Wishy-washy is saying, apple, orange, apple, orange. We're not going to do that. The very first thing you ask for, that's what I'm going to give you. And I always do it. No. But it was a simple way to go, we're not going to be wishy Because it's, then it goes to, you look at your frustration as parents sometimes, we realize that we're just feeding our own frustrations of, oh, my kid is saying this, and then they want this, and I'm just trying to please their every need. Well, you go, well, is that grounded in God's Word? Should I just be doing everything they ask me to do whenever they... Well, I just tell them, no, why? Well, because Daddy said so, you know. Well, why does Daddy say so? I still use because Daddy said so, you know. <laughs> that, is, that is an okay answer in my book sometimes. Um, but try not for it to be, but it's, just, but it's simple ways all the way back then. And using things like, even with my boys now, saying you know, trying to cast this vision of them to be men of God. And so that's something I pray with them a lot at night. Uh, but I use things, you know, trying to say, you know, we're going to be, you know, um, men of our word, you know, because even though you're, a, you're a, a little boy, now you're a big little boy, you know, I want you to grow up to be a man of God. And then we'll define what does that look like. Um, because daddies want to, I mean, little boys want to be like their daddies. They want to be men. You know, and so they're looking to you to define what does that look like. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the next one uh, that I put down that's a big one in our house is self-control. Um, the ability to control your desires and your impulses. And this is a, this is a tall order for a three-year-old boy, right? Like, it's a dream, the impossible dream. Um, but, like, some of the verses that, um, that I think about when I think of 
what I want what I want them to achieve as they get older. You know, Proverbs twenty five twenty eight, like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self control. Or Proverbs twenty nine eleven, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Um, so we talk about this a lot. We talk about this because mommy does not have great self control sometimes. Mommy loses my patience and loses my t- you know. I apologize to them on for sure a weekly basis for something that I've done where mm, mommy didn't have great self-control right then. And so I'll have to tell them sometimes, you know what, mommy just needs to go, I need to go pray, I need to go ask Jesus to help me have a kind heart that is patient, that is self-controlled right now. So like they see that, you know, that even when, when they see their mom do it, you know, act out of control. That's not okay. And there is a solution for that. And it's mommy needs to go spend time with Jesus. And they'll ask me sometimes, Mom, do you need to go have quiet time? Like, <laughs> yes, mommy does. Um, and so um, for them, I think it's really helpful to identify if your son has a hard time with this. Identify what is it? Are there, you know, typical scenarios that are hard for your kids? Whether it's, you know. Uh, like our oldest man, he does not have control over his emotions and his responses when he is working with Legos because he is like so fixated on it's got to be this and I've got to build this perfect thing that is awesome and like he knows in his head what he wants it to be and then if it falls apart or if he can't get the pieces to work, you know, it's just like, <gasps> you know, and he'll lose it. And he's doing actually a lot better because we've worked on this for a long time, but it used to be like daily meltdowns over the Legos. And so I just had to give him, here's, I had to give him what he should do instead of what he can't do, right? Like, instead of just saying, stop throwing a fit over Legos, like, you have to tell him what should he do when he gets frustrated. He doesn't know, right? I'm like, I didn't know until somebody told me. So, you know, if you're building with your Legos and you feel like you're starting to get frustrated, I want you to stop. Uh, I want you to ask for help. You know, give him like one thing or two things that he can do when he feels himself starting to get frustrated. Um, or if it is, you know, if it's something with their brothers, if they're getting frustrated because a brother is taking something or not playing the way that they like to play or whatever, typically I'll say, you know what, I'd like for you to go to your room right now and I'd, ask, I'd like for you to ask Jesus to help you have a kind attitude to your brother. Um, so they'll go off and they'll pray. Or for a long time I did it with them and now... Right, no, I was just going to say, we didn't just send them off to the room and say, yeah. start praying. It was trying to model that with them. And I do believe that, you know, um, even before a, a child becomes a, quote, Christian, before they under, truly understand and could articulate the gospel and have, you know, surrendered their heart to Christ, I do believe God will work in them and answer their prayers. And so we have seen that. And I think because if you're, uh, and we talk a lot about that, you know, um, don't be anxious to anything. He said, pray about everything. Thank God for what he has done. Tell him what you need. And so we talk about that. And then we've, ta- we've we got to model that for them. So like it talked about in the Deuteronomy passage Sarah was first reading that it talks about that you know, your kids don't remember all these things that happened in the, you know, the miracles that God has done. But your kids don't have a context for the power of God and who he is and what he can do until you teach it to them. And so it's sitting down and praying with them and saying, Let's, and praying for them initially, saying, let's just, when, when I get angry, here's what I do, here's, and here's why, going back to God's word and saying, because I shouldn't respond this way, because God doesn't yell at me. You know, and just the other day, I got upset with Noah, and I spoke to him in a 
you know, a, raised my voice and was very angry and didn't listen to him. And he was trying to talk to me and I was busy and I was frustrated about something. And I just told him, I just said, no, I'm not talking to you. Just go do, you, go do what I asked you to do. Because he wasn't doing what I asked him to do. And, you know, he comes back down the steps a few minutes later bawling and he'd gone to mom and said, Daddy really hurt my feelings when you said that. And he came back and was like, Daddy, you really hurt me when you spoke to me that way. And, and I just had to stop and tell him, man, I'm sorry. You know, God doesn't yell at me. And I shouldn't have raised my voice at you. Um, God doesn't lose his patience with me. And I shouldn't lose my patience with you. And so I'm sorry. Can you forgive me? Because I don't want to speak to you this way. I don't want to hurt your heart. And I forgive you, Daddy. You know. And well, and he had come upstairs, and I saw him very upset in his room. And I walked in there. I'm like, "Hey, are you okay?" He's like, "Daddy just was mean to me, and I'm just not even going to talk to Daddy." You know, and he was very upset. And I said, "Oh no, we, we're not going to do that because what does the Bible say about what we need to do when someone hurts our feelings?" And he just sat there because we've talked about Matthew 18 because they know if your brother has done something wrong, don't come tell me about it first. You need to go talk to your brother first. We do that even now. And you say you're planning to seize a biblical conflict resolution. Yeah, you know, so you're not going to make them listen to Todd's podcast about <laughs> it, right? But you can start teaching biblical conflict resolution to a three-year-old. Yeah, so I told him, I'm like, you know what, you need to go tell Dad, Daddy, you hurt my feelings when you talked that way. You know, and so he's like, okay. So and he walked down, and then, of course, he, he felt so much better than if he had just gone off, sulked about it, and moved on. Um, and the one thing I wanted, as, as we keep going about this, I wanted to, that was very, very key, is giving them, even when, um, like the example I was talking about, you know, when you spoke to your brother this way because we were outside and they ran it, it's, it's then going back, we try most times to then go, not to just leave it there, not to just talk about the negative behavior and why it was negative and why it wasn't godly or biblical, you know, or why it wasn't appropriate, but then to go, now, what could you have said when your brother rammed you with his bike? How did it make you? I was angry. Okay, what could you have said? Please don't hit me with your bike. Yes, that would have been great. And then if he would have done it again, then what do you do? Then I come to a day. Okay. You know, or if they, um, you know, we're just talking, being polite and having manners and that type of thing. And one of the big things, you get interrupted by your kids all the time. And so we just, We'll stop, and we're trying to teach them. Um, you know, you need to say, "Excuse me." You can't just walk when you walk into a room. You know, they come in, Sarah and I are talking. They just race into the kitchen. Daddy, Daddy, the Legos. It's always Legos. We're obsessed with Legos. Um, and and I would just go, Noah. Did you listen when you came into the room? Mommy and Daddy were talking. No. So instead of just saying, "Hey, uh, we're talking," just wait a minute. You know, it's okay. And then I'll and I'll tell them, okay. Please go out of the room and come back in and try it again. So he'll walk out. We'll continue talking, and he'll come in and he'll be like, "Excuse me," and I'll be like, um, "Noah, mommy and daddy are talking. I'll I'll talk to you in, in one minute." You know, I might not talk to him right then. You know, and so, but the key there is, and this is just a little side note that I realized something I'm trying to work on is though, when you say is you're building trust with your boys. And doing, you, know, you talk about not being wishy-washy, and when you're talking with your boys come to you and they say, hey, Daddy, will you do this? And be like, yes, we'll do that. We'll do it later. You know, I, I'll read that book to you later. I'll come play. Will you play with me, Daddy? I can't play with you right now. I'll play with you later. But then later never happens. Um, I, and that's, gotten, that's happened to me when I've gotten busy. 
and then my kids start not trusting me. And then they don't believe me when I say that. So it's, you know, that's another way of modeling, doing what you say you're going to do, being a man of your word. And if you say, yes, I will do that with you, yes, I will come talk to you in a minute, you've got to go talk to them in a minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, consideration is the next one. And this one is a big one um, for me. I don't think there are enough even grown-ups in the world <laughs> who, who really get living considerately, which is, I think, just taking into account others and their roles or their differences or their needs, recognizing that we are not all the same. Different people need different things, and so we treat them differently. Um, one way I think we teach them to be considerate is to understand that, that there is authority and that their job is to respect authority. And the biblical um, basis for that is the concept that that's found in both Exodus 20 and Ephesians 6, which is honor your father and mother, or children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. That's another verse that um, our boys have have learned. And that's something, you know, very tangible that they can get right now. You know, mommy and daddy are your authority. And we're not just their authority for arbitrary reasons. God gave us that authority. I, You know, again, always put it back on. God gave mommy and daddy the job of teaching you the rules. <clears throat> God makes the rules. God gives mommy and daddy the job of teaching you the rules. And God gives you the job of obeying the rules. We all have our job. We're all under God's authority. Um, but boy, that's, authority is a big thing for boys. Even if they can't articulate it, boys always want to know who's in charge. Because they would probably always like to be in charge themselves. You know, so um, they're typically asking who's in charge, um, what are the rules, and are the rules going to be enforced? They just kind of intuitively want to know that in whatever situation they're in. And so, you know, and I always try to clarify, like if I take them to somebody's house and leave them or if a babysitter comes or if we're, you know, going someplace, I'll usually, you know, try to remind them, okay, while Mommy and Daddy are gone, Miss Rachel is in charge. You know, just spell it out for them so that they know You are not in charge. This person is in charge. And then I try to give them a job. Like, will you make sure that you are Miss Rachel's helper if she has any questions? Or will you um, make sure that you help Miss Rachel take care of Ben? Or will, you know, like, they they want responsibility. They want to feel big. Just make sure they know that it's under under your authority or it's under this person's authority or um, when they're going to school. Their teacher is the authority. Make sure you respect her. And and be real specific. You know, some of the ways we respect grown-ups, we say, yes, ma'am. We say, no, sir. We say, please. We say, thank you. That shows respect. You know, we don't call grown-ups, um, you know, Alyssa. My four-year-old wouldn't walk up to her and say, Alyssa. You know, because she's not just his pal. And we talk about the difference between pals their age and grown-ups who have experience and wisdom that we show respect for. Um, and the other thing is, again, going trying to make, for them to see that, we talk about very specifically, we say, mommy and daddy have to follow God's rules. Mm-hmm. You know, that it's, it's, so they just like, you know, so we're just these, because I look at, you know, my parents, and I didn't grow up in a home of believers, and I mean, nice parents, but just strict, nice sort of people that went to church on Sundays, but it never had any context for it. And so, um, so it's just rules and just stuff, but we just, again, trying to draw those parallels so from a very, they can know, this is what we're doing. We're trying to follow God's rules, and here's why. 
and you know, and we'll tell them, and we'll talk to our kids when they try to do something. Be like, well, who knows best? You know, you or mommy and daddy. And you know, and they'll be like, well, mommy and daddy. And we're like, well, and who knows who knows best, mommy or daddy or God? Well, God, right? So this is why we're going to follow His rules, and we're just trying to teach you those as we're trying to live them. Um, just always trying to make those connections for them. Another way that they, um, that I think you teach them to be considerate of others, is um, is gentleness towards girls. And First um, Peter three seven, you know, the expectation is placed on husbands to be considerate with the way they live with their wives, to treat them with respect as a weaker partner, and as heirs with you in the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. There's a specific expectations placed on husbands that they will live with their wives in a gentle, considerate way. And I think it's very easy to sow seeds that will hopefully bear that fruit right now. I mean, we tell our boys all the times we are gentle with girls. Girls are different than boys. And, um, you know, we treat girls special or we treat girls gentle. You know, we teach them to hold the door open for girls or to let girls go first. They don't wrestle with me like they wrestle with Paul. I mean, I'll tickle them and we'll play, but they know they can't go full on at me like they go at him. So I'm like, Mommy's a girl, and we're gentle with girls, and I don't want to get beat up. <laughs> and they're rough. They're rough. Even at little ages, I mean, they don't know to stop when they're running at you, and they'll just, like, plow into you, you know. So, um, so we're, you know, whenever we have girls over at the house, um, which we do, you know, I have several friends who have little girls, and they love you know, they love when the girls come over because I'll always tell them, okay, let's really take care of Hope when she's over here. Let's think of what we can do to serve her. You know, we, we just, I talk to them differently about when we have girls over than when they have their boys, you know, friends over and they just play Star Wars and Batman and they dress up like, you know, G.I. Joe and they do all this, you know. And that's great and, and everything, but, but we're teaching them now that we treat girls differently. You know, whether it's, like I said, holding the door open or letting girls go first or things like that, they're real tangible, easy ways to show I'm doing something for this person out of consideration. And I think that's a real easy way to teach that. And that just comes from, you know, just kind of looking at your boys and going, who do you want them to be as men? You know, as a man of God, what does that look like? What is God calling to you men to be now? as men of God, as husbands, and as fathers, and as friends. And you, know, you can use that as a framework for, okay, that's where we're headed. How do we start doing that now? And that is a very simple way of looking at training them, First Peter 3, 7, you're planting that seed now by teaching, you know, that just that simple thing of we're just, we're different. You know, we're just gentle. And so, um, when, we're, when we're with girls, and so... Um, and so that's the thing is knowing you know, something we really encourage you to do is to, to make that list of you know, biblical character traits that you would want to see in your son when he's 25. Who is that man of God you want him to be? And then how can you start doing that now? Um, because I know for me, I didn't become a believer until I was in my mid-20s. So um, having to learn 1 Peter 3, 7 is much harder in my late 20s because I had no experience with it. I didn't see it modeled at home. I didn't have a context for it. So, uh, so you think about that wherever you are in your own spiritual walk, you know, as we're all growing in our relationship with Christ and as men as we're trying to become 
the men of God that God is calling us to be. You think about the challenge that is now, and you just think, man, what if? Think now, gosh, what if? It's, it's always that thing of, you know, you say, gosh, if I knew then what I know now, how different my life might be. Well, guess what? You can do that for your kids. What you know now, they don't, but you can go ahead and give it to them. They don't have to wait two more decades. And so, that's what we're Well, and you said model, like you mentioned that just, um, just briefly. Yeah, this is a big one that is important for them to see dad's model. Because the way that dad talks to mom and the way that dad treats mom is the way they're going to think it's okay to treat mom and to treat girls. So if you're constantly just kind of, you know, talking to your wife in a way that shows that you just expect her to do the, it's just directives, you know, which guys can kind of get in that mode of like you come home and you're in work mode and you kind of talk to your work people like I need you to do this, and you know, like we're not your work people. And um, and so like I that. That can be um, challenging, I know, but just know that the way that you treat your wife and the way that you talk to your wife is the way that your boys are going to assume is good to treat their mom and to treat girls. You're setting the bar for them. And so when, um, you know, when, when they tell me, you know, one of them argues with me or something, it's big that Paul steps in and goes, you can't talk to mommy that way. That's very rude. That's very disrespectful. Or, you know, or he's had to, you know, apologize before, you know, at different times saying, you know, because one of the boys would be and say, that was mean to mommy or something. You know, and he'll be like, yeah, daddy should not talk mean to mommy. Not that that has even happened that many times. But, um, but they are watching and they are hearing and they are, <laughs> and they are learning whether they tell you, oh, is that the way that I can talk to mommy? It goes in. It goes in. Um, consideration, I think it also... Um, it also shows itself in recognizing that there are those in need. And um, this one, I think, takes the most effort because most of us live in, um, you know, living in Dallas, living with pretty much everything we need, and most of our friends pretty much have everything we need, and we're kind of surrounded by everybody who has everything they need. And you kind of have to do extra work, I feel like, to get outside that bubble and show them that there's a world of people who do not have what they need. And that it's our responsibility for those who say we love Jesus to meet their needs and to love them and, and teach them that God hasn't forgotten them and that they're important. And um, there are so many scripture passages that talk about this. Isaiah 58 is one of the, you know, the big ones. And I just singled out verse 10 that says, If you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Um, Jeremiah 22:16, um, the Lord was talking to Shalom, who's the son of Josiah, and Josiah was one of the great kings of Israel, and his son um, just kind of uh, abandoned the faith and kind of started ruling, you know, in and of himself. And the Lord says, you know, calls him to account and says, it doesn't make you a king just because you have more and more cedar. You think you can just amass all these things and that's what makes you great. Look at your father. He defended the cause of the poor and the needy, and so all went well. That's what it means to know me, is to defend the cause of the poor and the needy. That's what you do when you know the Lord. Um, I'll skip Matthew 25 for just a minute, but James 1.27, religion that God accepts, look after orphans and widows in their distress. 1 John 3.17, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but does no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Um, we talk about this a lot, and we talk, you know, especially we moved down to West Dallas this, um, this year, 
and um, and have been de- involved down there um, for the last well for the last year. But and um, we talk about this a lot because we see a lot of people in need. We pray for people a lot when we're driving in the car. We usually try to keep you know peanut butter crackers or something in our van. We'll get a big box of them at Sam's. And when we see somebody on the side of the road, I tell them, do you know what? I think that person is hungry. I don't know their story. Some people. Um, you know, some people don't want to go to work, and they, you know, they want people to just kind of help them out, and that's not good. But some people really are hungry, and I don't know who's who, but I know God doesn't just want me to pretend like they're not there. So, you know, I'm not going to maybe give them ten bucks, but I'll give them some peanut butter crackers and say, you know, man, God loves you. I hope this blesses you. You know, and we're constantly trying to teach our boys that people matter, and there are so many people who don't have what we have. And I think there are a lot of of great things you can do with them to just tangibly hold up that value, whether it's sponsoring, you know, you can sponsor kids through Compassion or World Vision or even through Watermark now. And, um, you know, we talk about that, about Karina who lives in Ecuador. We talk about what Ecuador's like and that she doesn't have this. And so we, you know, give her that. Um, you know, we, um, the stuff, the truck drives are great. And um, the boys love to pick stuff out for that. And so, um, you know, I realized that we can write a check to Central Dallas Ministries, but the boys don't really get that. It's so much more meaningful for them when we go and we buy a bunch of groceries and we take it down to the Central Dallas Ministries food pantry and they see we're buying beans and rice and peanut butter and tuna and all these things for people who don't have it versus where you might be used to just giving by writing a check um, just consider maybe doing it differently to where your boys can participate, where they can see that, see what's happening at this early age, because they don't, they don't necessarily just get, you know, um, we gotta move on. money. Yeah, we do have to move on. Okay, sorry. Um, purity, yeah, purity is another big one. Um, you know, there's some passages in First Timothy that are um, that are great that I'll let you read. But I think the seeds for this now. Um, I think one of the easiest ways to start laying the foundation for purity is to teach them about their bodies now um, and start laying the foundations for understanding their sexuality. And I know that, like, I don't know if you're like me, but the idea of, like, calling a penis a penis was, like, horrifying for me. Horrifying. And, um, you know, I was like, oh, let's think of something else to call it. And Paul's like, we're calling it a penis. It's a penis. Um, And I was like, okay. You know, um, but there's a, Mary Flo Ridley has a CD that probably a lot of you have heard. Um, if you haven't, you should. It's awesome, Shaping Your Child's Sexual Character. Um, and it's great. It talks about how to start, even when they're little, with just basic principles and then building on it as they get older. You know, for a long time, we've talked about deep inside, every living thing is what it takes to make the next living thing just like it. We talk about it in all of nature when we're out on our walks. We talk about it with, you know, with lots of things, but it's easy to start now and just to, and to tell them, this is your body, this is what this is for. They, you know, they've asked where babies come from. You know, we've talked about that, how babies grow in a special place inside their mommies and it takes a daddy and a mommy to come together because deep inside a daddy and a mommy is what it takes to make the next living thing just like it. And there's nothing sexual about it at this age. It's just function. It's just truth. It's just fact um, that you're building on as they get older. Um, and but... I was going to say, and this is something I think where dads can really play a major role. Um, because, you know, with my boys, 
um, from a very young age, and, and it's the, the unfortunate reality of the world we live in is that uh, they are exposed to millions of messages that are counter to a biblical model for purity. Um, be it when in the, we, we get in here and we talk, even talk about this, about um, you know, going through the checkout line and the magazines that are right there at eye level, shape, glamour, all these you know, women in little tiny bikinis or workout clothes. Um, that's going into their heads and they're seeing that. And you've got to deal with that. I mean, that's your job to talk about that because whether or not they talk about it, they saw it. And so it's not necessarily a sexual thing for them, but again, it goes to talking about purity. And is that okay? And why or why is it not? But then also, but as it just very practically as it relates to, to body, something we chose to do at a very young age is we call body parts what they are. And, and it's not a big deal in our house. I mean, it's from, you know, when you call a penis a penis. And, but we do, we've talked a lot from a very young age is that well, there are certain things that are private. You know, you have private parts. What does private mean? It's just for you. Um, you know, so your penis is a private part. Your bottom is a private part. Um, you know, and, and then we even talk about, you know, because they know that, you know, women have breasts. And we're like, and so it's different. You know, are these my breasts? No, that's your chest. But they're my nipples. Yes, you have nipples. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and so... You're like, yes, they are, you know, and we go, but they're private. So, you know, we don't let our kids, and it's just a simple thing of our boys, when they're playing, they can't just even play, like spank each other, you know, just if they're just playing around, they're wrestling, if they're, you know, play fight or whatever we're doing, they're not allowed to, to hit each other on the bottoms um, because it's a private part. Because we, we don't play with private parts. They're not toys. We treat them with respect. Right. And, and we don't... And, and so we just teach them. And so it's just something I reinforce. And I've had conversations. Bath time is an easy time, you know, of, of doing that. And even from a very young age, of, especially when they're going to start being out of your hands, if they're going to be with other people, and who can you trust? And that's a big, big question. And, you know, just have heard too many stories of abuse that has happened. And not going to freak you out, but it's the reality of my cousin did this to me when I was such and such age. You know, and so trying to plant those seeds early with them that... Is anybody allowed to touch your private parts? Nope. Who are the only people that can see your private parts? Me and mommy and daddy, right? And grand and pawpaw if you're at their house. And, you know, um, and what about a doctor? Yes. Well, when? Well, when mommy and daddy are there. Right. And so when we're in the doctor's office, uh, you know, now our pediatrician is good about saying that on his own, but it's something we reinforce while we're there in his presence. You know, when they're going to take, his, take down their pants and, and, you know, examine them, it's like, they can, it's like, the doctor can only do this. How come? Well, because daddy's here, right. And I've asked them, even at, you know, a very young age, just making sure they understand. I'm like, hey, if someone told you they were a doctor and said, I need to see your penis, what would you say? No. Right. Why? Because they're not allowed to unless, what, mommy and daddy are there. Right. And, but even talking about it with their friends. And so, but we don't, but that's the thing is not making a big deal out of it because it's just, so that it's just so common to them. It's just, that's just part of the language that, you know, hey, it's a private part. And so, um, and they, you know, they get out of control and we get, you know, and they're taking showers together and, uh, you know, little boys, they love it. They, I mean, it is a toy to them. I mean, it's just, that's the reality. And, you know, and so, you know, our three-year-old, you know I mean, he's just at that stage where he is fascinated with his penis right now and loves to just grab it and make it hard. Wow. And I, 
And so I'm just saying. So that, but it's, but, but what do you, but that's what's going to happen. And so what do you do when he comes out of the shower and he's, he did this yesterday to Sarah and he steps out of the shower and he just was, I mean, I thought he was going to squeeze it off and it's, he's got, I mean, I, I mean, I didn't know before I had kids, little boys could have erections like that. I mean, and he just squeezes it and he lets go and he's like, my penis is big. We just say, yeah, that happens, and we move on, and it's you know, natural, and it's, you know, and, you're just like, and, I'll, and I'll say a lot of times, that's the way God made you. That's the way God made boys, and, you know, and we move on from there. Right, but I'll tell them, but if I see them, you know, you know, and, and, and even the four-year-old and the six-year-old, you know, and at some point, you know, I don't know what, the, what age they shouldn't be bathing with their brothers, and that's something you'll have to decide, and I'm still okay with them still showering together and being together, but if I see them, you know, they'll still, you know, grab it like it's a sword and want to attack the other one and then just be like, you know, is that a toy? No. All right. Is it a private part? Yes. Do we play with private parts? No. All right. Wash your hair. You know, and we move on. And they're okay with that. And that is, you know, he mentioned like going through the checkout line. That it has been our framework for having discussions before. You know, I saw Noah looking at a magazine a while, and he was, this was, you know, a while back, he was younger, but he was looking at a magazine of a girl in a workout top and workout panties, whatever you want to call them, and, um, you know, basically, mostly naked on the cover of the magazine, and he's just looking at it, because he's standing right there, and it's right there, right, and so my instinct is to be like, you know, come look at the gum, you know, and like, distract it, you know, train, Um, but... Um, you know, but instead, I kind of went over there. I'm like, what are you looking at? And he's like, I'm looking at this magazine. I'm like, what do you think about that magazine? He's like, why is she in her underwear? I'm like, fair question, right? I said, you know what? I don't know. Do you remember the rule about, like, do we let people see us in our underwear? And he's like, no. I said, you know what? I don't think she knows that rule. I don't know if, if anyone ever taught her that she shouldn't let people look at her in her underwear. Um, you know, or maybe she just doesn't care. Maybe she's Maybe she thinks it's okay for her to do that. I don't think she's making a good choice by letting people see her in her underwear, but we can still make a good choice and choose to not look at it. So we turned the magazine over and we moved on. It wasn't a big thing. But, like, you are teaching them what is okay to look at and what is is not okay. And it is, you know, it is our responsibility to choose what we see and what um, what we let into our minds. And so, yeah, yeah. Question for you. Uh oh. Right, bathing. So his question is, how do you handle bathing suits? Um, we haven't had. I mean, with with the boys. She doesn't wear bikinis. I I don't. I don't. I mean, just, just so that so that there's consistency in what we're saying. You right. know, trying to be uh, conservative in in what you wear. Yeah, honestly, we haven't dealt that much with it because we truly we don't have access to a pool, and so we haven't had to to deal with that. As they get older, that will be conversations we'll have to have of, um, that probably will fall a lot on Paul to have conversations with, man, when you see a girl and you notice the way she looks, you know, and you're going to have to have a little bit more in-depth conversation there about what you choose to really think about and choose to continue to look at and when you look away out of respect. Um, So, but we... We haven't had that issue just because we haven't had a pool, like even a community pool that they've spent time at. So, But I can tell you we would make the choice now, and I would have this conversation with them down the road that if they're at a pool and there are girls in bikinis, that they, I would talk to them about why I think they should choose to leave. 
in terms of honoring women and also protecting their hearts and as it relates back to what we're, you know, purity. That that's, that's, a, that's you know, that, that, that's something, that, that's a choice. Just like they shouldn't look at it on a magazine cover, just because it's there in front of you at a pool doesn't mean that that makes it okay, that you can choose to do something about it. Because I wouldn't stay at a pool where there were lots of women walking around in bikinis because I know for me that's a temptation. And so I'm not going to, you know, that's foolishness to put myself in that situation. And so I would want to train my boys to not do that as well. Um, okay, so the relational context for raising boys, this is just kind of, you know, moms and dads, how we're different and, and boys get different things from their moms and dads. Um, I think that there's kind of a myth that the early years, it's just all about mom because these are kind of the tender years and dads don't really get involved until the boys get a little bit older. But that's really not true. Boys need their dads right now, big time, even though mom is taking care of them, typically you know, more than dad um, is there often in these early years. Um, but they really do need both. You know, moms, um, boys get so much just through the nurturing um, gentleness of mom. This is a big, even I was, one of the books that I have read, um, oh, and this one in fact, Raising Boys, which is not a, he's not a Christian author, and he's, so he's coming from a secular perspective, and even he will argue that little boys don't do well in daycare. Like little boys specifically do better when there's like one person who thinks the world of them, who's committed to their to their good, who will, will pour their um, excited attention and energy towards them. They don't do well. They don't do as well as girls in just group settings where several people are taken care of. Like the role of moms for boys is big to just be in their world and excited about them and pouring into them and accepting them and giving them that gentleness um, that makes a boy feel secure. Um, and then also boys... Um, especially need help kind of verbally processing the world around them. And moms can be so helpful in giving them the words to express what they're experiencing, what they're seeing. Um, you know, I don't know if your boys are like this. My boys ask a thousand questions. What is this? And why is it here? And who did that? And when did that start? And what would happen if that wasn't here? And all, I mean, on and on and on in my, you know, my my instinct sometimes is just to be like, okay, let's all take a break from talking right now because I get like wiped out. But they want to learn and they're curious about everything. And, um, you know, I skipped the parable of the sheep and goats in the, in the um, consideration part that we talked about because I was going to bring it up now, but we don't maybe have time. But, um, you know, we just had the longest conversation in the car about, um, you know, about that. And tying it to, we see people on the side of the road and they are acting this way and they look this way and it looks different than us and why. And I'm helping them make sense of how people are different and what God expects of us because of that and why we have what we have. And just, just giving them all of the language to understand their world. Boys don't get that language as naturally and intuitively as girls do. They need that extra help. And, you know, as the relational and biological, you know, for dads, you know, this is, this is big for us. Um, to, to really engage with them, even from the, the youngest age. And it takes work. Uh, and the other thing is, it takes time. Um, and so uh, there is just, you know, you've got to spend a lot of time with your boys. Your boys want, they are wired to desire to want to be like you. And so um, 
Who are you? That's the first thing. How are you doing in your own walk, right? So that they see that. And do you, the way you're living, is that what you want for them? But the way that you can just build little things is like something I've tried to do, um, and, and I get tired, and sometimes I don't, and the more kids you add, the harder it is to do. But um, if you own a car, which most of you probably do, um, you should change your own oil, and you should change your oil with your boys, um, if you can. I can't do it in my van because it's a canister thing, and it's weird. And it's, <laughs> it's really aggravating. But in my Honda, uh, I got a little Honda Accord, um, my boys have been getting under the car and changing the oil with me since they were two years old. Um, now, it takes a lot longer. It does. But you know what? Th- when we're going to change the oil, they cannot wait to crawl up under the car. They love using my tools. They, you know, and so I don't know anything about cars. They're like, well, how does the oil work? I'm like, it makes the engine work, you know. <laughs> um, but, but there's so many life lessons that, one, it's engaging with them. You don't have to teach boys to love, to love sticks, to love bugs, to love dirt, to love rocks, to love tools. You don't have to teach them those things. And, and our boys are not all in the same gamut. One, you know, our oldest is very artistic. We have some that are much more sensitive. Some, you know, the youngest is very rough and physical. You know, there's a big spectrum. But there are certain things that are core, the physicality to being a boy. And so, but in that, when we change the oil, I talk to them about being good stewards of the things God's given us, that this is how we can take care of things. Yes, I could pay someone to go do it, but that costs, you know, $35. Think, what could we do with that $35? Buy the Death Star Legos. Yes, we could. Or we could give it to somebody. <laughs> or we might need it to buy food. You know, um, and then it's teaching them self-control and discipline because there's Daddy's wrench. Ah, do we touch Daddy's toys with tools without asking? No. Why? Because you don't know what it's for. Could it hurt you? Yes, it's a giant wrench. You know, um, is, you know and they start waving it around, sword fight. You know, teaching them to use things for what they're meant for, you know, self-control. Is that a sort? No, it's not. And, and so that, having those dozen different conversations instead of me just sliding, getting up on the ramps, getting under there, changing the oil, and getting about my day, but that's not what my life is about. Our, you know, all of us weren't called here to just get through our to-do lists. We're called here to be disciples, you know, and to make disciples. And so that is a making disciple moment. Um, you know, I get them to use, you know, I let them use my drill. They can pull the trigger. I got to hold their hand. We got to hold it together. But I get them involved in things like that. Um, I've let them get behind the mower with me uh, at different times. And it's not something I do all the time. But man, they love to help. And our kids love to help. They help out with the chores. I mean, at the age that they can pick up a shirt out of the laundry, they're picking up a shirt out of the laundry when Sarah's doing laundry and taking it to the laundry room. And putting it into the washing machine and teaching them, be teaching them about, you know, again, we have to take care of the things God's given us. We have to work. This isn't fun, Mommy. When are we going to play? Right. Not everything is fun, but we still have to do it. And here's why. And so, um, but that just, but for guys, it takes being there. It takes being there a lot and getting involved. Um, and and that's that's a discipline. And that's it's a hard thing to do. Um, John Eldridge talks about that in the book Wild at Heart, which um, especially for women, if you haven't read it, you should read it because it is insightful on just kind of um, men in general. 
Um, and you don't maybe necessarily have to agree with everything in there. I kind of have a couple of questions about some of his stuff. But, but a lot of it is really good in just kind of understanding the way guys are wired. But one of the things he says in there, talking about the importance of dads, is that boys have to get their masculinity from their dads. Femininity doesn't bestow masculinity. Masculinity calls out masculinity. It would be like asking a pearl to create a buffalo. You know, like it's boys have to get, and especially coming out of the preschool years, this is um, really the time when they start recognizing dad's different and I want to be like dad. You know, that I want to identify with him and his strengths. I want to imitate him. Um, and so for dads that kind of think these aren't the important years, and so they feel okay about, you know, maybe not having as much time being at home as much or whatever, you, this, is, this is a big time for them to see that they are important to you. They get a lot of esteem from that about feeling important to dad, that, that I'm a priority to dad. He cares about me. He wants me with him. Um, that's a big thing. Um, sibling dynamics, I don't know if you have multiple boys. You know, if you have a girl, there's the, you know, the easy way to start um, teaching that we, t we treat girls gentle. You know, that's man, that's going to be his job is to help take care of his sister, to protect her. Um, you know, but if you've got other boys, um, it can be boys can butt heads. You know, if you've got competitive boys, if you've got, um, you know, uh, people used to always tell me that, you know, your third will be so easy. Thirds are mellow. Thirds are easy. You know, nobody told our third that he's a third. And he, did, he thinks he's as big and strong as everybody else, and so he'll fight kind of for what he wants. And I don't know if you've got stuff like that going on in your home, but, um, man, we have told our boys since they were little, y'all are best friends. I mean, from the time that, that I was even, you know, having one of the, you know, boys in the hospital, they were drawing pictures for their brothers to put up in the hospital room. And, um, you know, we talked about it from the time I was pregnant. You know, man, we're going to love him. He's going to be your best friend. And, um, and we have just nurtured that for, um, forever. You know, you'll have other friends, and they'll be great friends, but your brothers, man, they're special. And, um, you know, so they have some time when they can play by themselves, and this can be your own time to build something. And then we have times when it's not about what you want to build. It's about what we're going to build together. It's about what you and Sam are going to build. What train track can you and Sam build? It's going to be even better than if you built it by yourself. Um, so we have, you know, special time for that. The um, biological differences, you know, like he was saying, not every boy is Braveheart and not every girl is Cinderella, but there are differences between boys and girls. There really are. And um, wherever your child falls out on the spectrum, probably, um, you know, one person called boys noise with dirt on it, which I thought was hilarious. I was like, yeah, that is what a boy is, noise with dirt on it. Um, <laughs> You know, they, the reality is that they have physical energy that must be expended or else suffer the consequences. Um, you know, I, we started the morning by getting our energy bugs out. Like, I don't take them anywhere that they're going to have to be well-behaved and self-controlled that we don't get our energy bugs out first. So if we're going to have to sit through a chapel service for 45 minutes at Noah's school or we're going to have to sit in the doctor's office for an hour, we're going to run the stairs of the office building for probably five minutes and then they're going to do push-up contests on the ground for another and then we're going to have jumping jack contests. And, um, and they've just got... And then, you know what? It will be so much easier for them to sit in a waiting room with a book or their coloring pad for 20 minutes because they've just expended that energy. And... Um, you know, if they can't get outside because it's 6,000 degrees outside, 
you know, sometimes I'll just push the furniture back in the living room. I'll turn on loud, fast music. I've got a playlist on my iPod specifically labeled Noah, Sam, and Ben. It's all high energy, loud music. I turn it on. We dance our faces off. They go crazy. They, you know, they can yell. They can, like, this is our time to get it out. Um, you just have to help them sometimes channel that energy and then sit down and have your story time or your devotional time or whatever. But I think sometimes it's so frustrating when you just want to sit down and do something constructive with them and they're just all over the map. And sometimes just letting them get those energy bugs out first will help. Um, Boys' brains are wired differently than girls. Right side and left side don't talk as efficiently as girls do. Um, We all know this. Um, So boys need help, especially like translating emotions into words. Did that hurt your feelings when he said that? Was that scary when you fell? Did it hurt a little bit? You know, helping, giving them the words for them instead of just saying, you're okay, you know, or, oh, come on, it's not that big of a deal. Like, they don't even know really how to express what has happened. So really try to help them articulate when you were there, when you were there and you didn't see mommy because you wandered off. That was very scary because you thought you were lost, didn't you? You know, it sounds very basic, especially to women because... We've known how to articulate that since birth, but boys don't even know how to say it sometimes. They need help with that. They also don't listen as efficiently. Hmm, We also know this. And um, boys will listen better. And I get into this, like, rut all the time. And I'm like, why am I doing this? I'll call out across the house, Sam, go put your socks on, like I did this morning, 15 minutes before we were supposed to leave. Go put your socks on. He doesn't really even see my face, and he's in the middle of doing something else but I've given him a a task and then I've moved on and I expect him to do it. And then I'll come back five minutes later. I'm like, Sam, where are your socks? And he's like, oh, like it's the first time he's really hearing it. Whereas if I look at him and I say, Sam, your job, you have one job, go put your socks on. He is so much more likely to go put his socks on because I'm clear, I'm looking at him, I know I have his attention. They listen so much better. And it's just respectful instead of yelling out across the house which I don't want them to do to me. I don't like it when they're like, Mom! I'm like, come find me, you know, and then I do it to them, you know. Um, so boys do listen so much better. when And when you're not, like, in this long flow of conversation, we're going to do this, so I need you to pick up this, and when I, so that when we're done, we can go do da 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 That's like blah, 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 blah to them. You know, like, give it to them in two things. I need you to pick up the room, and we're going to put our shoes on. You know, like, it needs and to be... I will ask them to tell me. Yeah, I will what say, did I just tell what, what are the two things you're going to do? This and this. Yes. Great. And then I know one of them will get done. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and, and I want to give us uh, a few minutes here for some questions, but yeah, just a couple yeah, yeah. of quick things I wanted to throw out um, as it relates is that that is something, again, it goes to modeling this is you can say all of this, but if you don't do it yourself, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And so... Um, you know, so for Sarah, and it's like we're, we're really trying to work on right now being in the same room when we're talking to each other, you know, of making sure that our kids, we've got that eye contact because it goes to do you want your kids when they're at someone else's house to shout from one room to the other? It's like because, you know, you find yourself, you know, it's, again, it goes to are you creating your own stresses? Are you out somewhere and you see a behavior in your kid that you're like, oh, they're shouting across the store for me. Well, why? Because you shout across your home, you know. But if your child knows, you know, again, appropriateness, the value of relationship, um, 
you know, the developing the maturity to connect with an adult. These are all things that can happen by making sure your kids know when we're talking, you get down on their level, you make eye contact, and, and you take time for them. They're feeling love, they're feeling... I mean, there's a million things happening in taking the time to go over to them and say, you know, would you please stop what you're doing? And, and here, here's what I need to happen now. And then also the reality, this was, I think, why it took me so long to learn, was just going, getting frustrated with them when I'd ask them to do things at a young, you know, they're in the middle of playing and, you know, I'm ready to go do something else now. It's like, okay, would you stop playing because we need to go do this? And they don't do it right then. I'm on them. Did you hear what daddy said? I asked you to stop playing. What should you do when daddy asks you to do something? Obey right away, all the way with a happy heart. Right. <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, one, how would I respond if I'm at work and someone came in and says, you know, hey, the meeting's starting in a minute. I need you to get there. And if I didn't, like, put down my pen and get up out of my seat right there and my coworker was like, Paul, did you not hear me? Why didn't you put your pen down when I told you the meeting was starting? It's ridiculous. It, it's just like, how do you do... So setting your kids up for success, you know, engaging with them in that really intimate, personal way um, and modeling it for them. Um, and then the other thing is, is, is we just talked about love, something that, uh, you, know, that I, you know, I tell my kids all the time is... And, and I think probably because I went off and lived uh, a really reckless uh, life for a really long time um, and... and uh, felt very lost and, and, and hopeless you know, until my mid-twenties, is um, you know, I try to reinforce and I tell them all the time, I say, no matter where you go or what you do, I will always love you. And I tell them because Jesus loves me that way. No matter what I do or where I go, God loves me. And so, and, and, I, and, and, I, really, and I say that a lot, you know, especially in times after when you know, they feel really bad about something or they've really misbehaved or something's gone... I want them to know after we've dealt with it appropriately and there still may be consequences to just if, if they if that's the only thing they ever remember, you know, when, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, they're 20 years old and waking up in some apartment in some city where they don't even know they where they are like I did in college, you know, and going, you know, and crying out going, will somebody help me? And if they could just remember, man, dad said no matter where I go or what I do, he'll love me. You know, so it's just they've got to hear that. And I think also the other thing I was going to say about for dads with teaching your boys. And I know this is hard because of your own past experiences. You know, I I never heard my father tell me he loved me growing up. I know he does. You know, I I still see him today. And dad, I love you. I'll hug him. I'll kiss him. He's like, okay. (laughs) You know, and, uh, you know, so but but it's. Telling your kids that. Telling your kids when you're scared. Telling, letting them see you. My kids see me cry, you know, because I want them to know it's okay to cry. They see me cry tears of joy. They see me cry tears of sadness. And the other thing is we're gone at work and they don't always know what's going on. And so, you know, I just got done shooting this film. And so for six weeks I worked more than I ever had in my life and I wasn't around a lot. And, but it was the hardest thing I'd ever done in my entire life. And, I mean physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and it challenged me in ways. It took me to the edge of just, it was, but I got to have great discussions with them 
about because one of the passages we always looked at was Gideon. And, you know, they know Gideon and the Tuba Warrior from Veggie Tales. Great place to start. And I'm like, well, Gideon, like, not really a cucumber, was really a guy. And, you know, here's what he faced. And, man, he was scared. And you know what? And then we talked about making the movie. I said, you know, Daddy was really scared. I said, there were days I, I wanted to go home. Because I'd wake up and there were 50 people looking at me going, what do we do? When do we do it? How do we do it? And I said, I didn't know. And I'd have to go pray because, you know, God told me not to worry, but I worried so that they can know. Because I don't want to try to pretend to be somebody I'm not. So then when I tell them, hey, I'm worried about, you know, this at school. Well, hey, you know, has daddy ever been scared? Yeah, what, is, what do we do? You've you, you got to show that. You've got to be transparent. And to me, that is being a godly man because that's what God calls us to. You know, and so that is to me courageous leadership is in a father is being real and then responding in a godly way and demonstrating that for your kids. Um, there's nothing weak in that. You know, that is strength. And so you can model that for your kids now and start teaching them. And how it kind of ties in with, you know, this last point, boyhood defined. Um, you know, just recognize that culture will define boyhood and especially manhood. By, they will face so many pressures and lies that their success is based on their performance academically or athletically or the way girls respond to them or the way people like them. Or, you know, boys are going to grow up feeling the need to perform. And, um, you know, and teaching them now that they're not special because they – scored five goals at their soccer game. It's great, and God's gifted them, and that was really fun, but they're special because God made them, and God loves them, and you love them, and no matter what they do, like he was saying, like we articulate that specifically, no matter what you do, we love you, and God loves you. And just make sure that you're not always praising them for what they do or their accomplishments. I mean, it's great to say you did a good job. You played a great game. You know, but if that's all they're ever hearing praise for, if they're not, you know, we always try to, like, like, especially with sports, we always try to tie into, of like, but you know what? I love that you really persevered. It was hard. And you didn't, you know, maybe he, one didn't score any points that game. But, man, you played your best, and I respect that so much. I use that word a lot with them. I really respect when you did that. Or I, um, you know, man, I saw that that girl called you a name. I, I just respect that you, tr- you continued to treat her with love that you didn't just call her name back. That really shows me that you've been listening to what we've been, you know. So we just, um, we have a lot of character conversations and it's not just about, we won the game or you scored these many points or you scored 100 on your, you know, spelling test for spelling can, sit, and, you know, bed or whatever. Um, so, man, we went a lot longer than... Um, and, and one thing I want to say about that and about all these things is you just have to persevere because even in light of that, our oldest, who we have gone to the extreme of making sure we have never associated his value or his worth or our love for him with achievement, to this day, I mean, it happened this morning because he's just learned to tie his shoes, that the bows are not tight and they're a little bit too big. He cries because it is not perfect. I'm never going to be a and good shoe tie. And, and, and his, 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 and, and, it, and it, it still confounds me. I'm like, 
I don't know what else we could have done, but he still associates his value and his joy and his happiness and his worth largely with performance. So we just, you know, keep going back to that well of just trying to reinforce, you know. I, but I didn't score any goals in the game, you know, playing soccer, you know. That and what makes you special. It's like, did you have fun? Yes, but I didn't score. They're better than me. Does daddy love you? Yes, but I didn't score. And I've never said, hey, let's go out there and score. <laughs> let's just go out there and have fun. Yeah, you're going to try to kick the ball into the goal. Great. <laughs> so it's just, you just have to keep trying. Yes. So are there, I know we're, we're uh, we technically have six minutes left. Um, <laughs> but questions. What, yeah. Questions. So the question... And, and, the, and, the, uh, and the John Eldridge book, he talks about it, and I think it's a good, a good, good counsel there, but what have you done in terms of what you've seen in terms of knowing he's bullying or how, how he handled it? The question... Yeah, the question is how would you handle bullying with our oldest going into first grade? Um, you know, we've... I was going to say, we haven't dealt with physical bullying yet. There's been uh, just, you know, kids saying things that, you know, aren't great. And so that's where we just really try to do the biblical conflict resolution at a five-year-old level of, did you, what did you tell them? Did you tell them how that, you know, that that was not to speak to you that way? Did that, that that bother, you know? And, but really it's actually been on the reverse side. Noah bullied. Um, there was a little girl uh, that was um, with him that, he didn't know he was bullying. He was calling attention to some scars. Right. They, she had some burn scars on her legs, and he and another kid made fun of it. And so we had to talk about that and work through that and um, go m- meet with the mom and brought him and met with the girl and apologized. And, um, you know, uh, will I teach my kid to get in a fist fight? Probably not. Um, I don't know where I fall out on... Uh, and Kyle Kegler's there, and I don't know if we have an official family ministry <laughs> stance on it, but what, I, what I'd well, probably, I guess, and, and I know Sarah and I are probably in slightly different camps, but I wouldn't ever say allow someone to beat you up. You can, you know. I was going to say, we have, I have talked with Noah a little bit at, just in pre-K even, a couple of the boys, he had said he didn't like playing with them on the playground because um, they called him names or something. And, um, and, what I have told him is, you know, from Matthew 18, when anyone does something that hurts you or offends you, we go to that person and we talk to them about it first. And so I'm like, man, when somebody calls you a name and you don't like it, you need to talk to them about it. Because I have said you don't ever have to let somebody treat you in a way that's not respectful. Um, and then if they don't respond, you can go tell your teacher. But when I'm there, um, you know, like we, we did deal with this with soccer this year. A little girl was being really ugly to him. And I told him, I sat him down. I was like, Noah, what does Jesus say we need to do with our enemies? He says, love your enemies. So we went over. We talked to her. We told her she was playing a great game. We told her how cute her little pink shin guards were, said how excited we were to be on her team. And I, I led him. And I wouldn't have expected him to go do that by himself without my care because I'd I wouldn't know maybe how, you know, what's this person capable of? Is the person going to hit? Is I would have told him to get a teacher involved if the child didn't respond. But when I was there, I led him through loving her 
and treating her with gentleness. And you know what? She responded great, and we had a friend for the rest of the time. And I will say, I have explicitly told them that you do not ever need to allow anyone, a child or an adult, if they are treating you in a way that physically hurts you or makes you uncomfortable or makes your heart hurt or uncomfortable, you need to let us know. That that doesn't just because they're bigger or they're, you know, because I want that to translate into if a, if a teacher's doing something that they shouldn't be doing, I want to know, you know, come and tell mommy and daddy. Yeah. And then we can deal with it, you know, from there. Yes. Yeah. So you were talking about um, masculinity, creating masculinity in the boys. So right, what right. if you, your little boy, who I've got a two-year-old, he goes and he wants to play with a purse or play with a makeup brush? Do I stop him from doing that? Well, I've got... Um, the question is... The, the question is masculinity creates, you know, can you know, create masculinity, and what if your kid wants, your little boy wants to play with a hairbrush or a purse or something? Um, Again, I don't make a big deal out of it. We have friends that have little girls, and they would go over, and Noah, when he was four, loved to wear the little pink uh, sparkly high heels. I mean, I would hear him clomping down the hall, and he'd come in, and I would be like, oh my gosh. And, And he's just like, Look at these shoes, Daddy. And I just go, I'm like, oh, yeah, those are great, but those are girls' shoes. I'm like, do you have, are there any, you know, boys' shoes? You know, you know, it's like just saying, hey, those are for girls. And there's times when they've asked, you know, uh, where we just, so I'm not going to, because I think most of it is, it's just curiosity. It's like, I don't know, they're, he's never seen shoes that are like that with high heels and they're sparkly and they're pink and okay and, you know. Nothing wrong with pink and sparkles and, you know, and so I'm not going to teach him that those are for him. You know, I mean, I'm just going to give him the context for it of, oh, yeah, those are Nora's shoes. Yeah, those are beautiful for a little girl to wear. And if he said, can I buy some of those? And, and we've had things, I don't know if it was make, or there have been times we'd go, oh, well, that's for a girl. You know, guys don't wear, you know, those shoes aren't made for a boy. Oh, Okay. So Alyssa just said, building blocks, the first Friday in September, Sue Bolin will be talking about raising gender-healthy kids. So that's a great resource. Yeah. So the question is for a mom with a boy, um, when is it? Oh, when does it stop being appropriate to let them see you changing or um, to see you undressed because they're starting to be aware of the differences in your body? Um, I think that's. A, I mean, that's a really subjective thing. Different parents would fall out in different places. We we stopped fairly young, probably around there. Um, you know, you need to give mommy my privacy while I change my clothes, please. Um, you know, there, there is just a curiosity when they're little. And we talked about how God made girls and boys different. Girls have different parts. Boys have different parts. We've used the words. They understand all of that. But then as we have taught them that those are private parts and we don't look at other people's private parts, 
we've kind of, you know, said, and, you know, mommy's going to go take a bath or mommy's going to go change my clothes and I need my privacy. And so that's, that's so it's, it's that, so I think it's that age of recognition when you're going to start and it's, and it can be, it's hard for me to remember back 18 months, it's close to, you know, a year and a half. So at what point are you starting to use those words of when you're starting to say private parts and that type of thing? Because now you've got to live it. And so, so it was before two, we were starting to do that. I mean, some parents would disagree, and they're all in the family, and they probably let their kids see them longer than that. We we didn't for those reasons. Yeah. So what's appropriate for siblings to show affection, physical affection for each other, a four-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter, give each other a kiss on the lips, is that okay? Again, I think it's, um, I think it's subjective. I know different families who have different stances on that. I know, um, you know, I don't kiss my boys on the lips even at this age, but I know a very godly family and he, you know, the dad kisses his daughter on the lips and she's five. Um, you know, it just kind of probably depends on your comfort level. Our boys don't kiss each other on the lips. and um, They kiss each other on the cheek or on, the, you know, and give each other hugs. And we're big about physical affection. But, um, and I would say it goes to um, just consistency and also do you want to have to try to untrain something? And then do you want to have to deal with what could potentially be seen as, you know, not hypocrisy, but just, but almost to the extent of, well, why was it okay then and not now? And, and there are some things that are just appropriate when you're younger or not. But again, as it goes to purity and us teaching our boys that, you know, kissing on the lips is something that mommies and daddies do. When two people love each other and are going to share their life together in the way that God has designed them, you know, to be married, that's, you know, that's how they express that love to each other. That's one of the ways they do it. And so... I don't think they're missing out if they kiss each other on the cheek, you know, and so we've just taught our boys because I don't want to have to explain, well, you can kiss your sister on the lips, but, you know, you can kiss your brother, but you can't kiss your buddy, you know. Well, and, and in light of, you know, one of the verses I put down under purity was 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2, where Paul tells Timothy, do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. So, um... You know, the way we're going to tell our boys to treat um, girls when they're in junior high, when they're in high school, is that there's going to be an expectation that you treat this girl as if she were your sister. You're not going to do anything with her that you wouldn't do with a sister. And so if there is that standard of, well, with your sister, you do this and that. And, I mean, they're only four and two right now. It's just at some point you're going to have to start setting the, um, you know, the standard that this is how we show physical affection. And so just, you know, that's kind of a... Personal call. Yeah. Um, we have nine month old boys and they're playing and cute and wrestling right now. Yeah. And I found myself being like, Yeah, hit him back or kick him back. And I was like, What am I seeing? <laughs> so, I mean, I know they're nine months old, but I mean, I'm already developing things that, you know. So, what's the. So, you know, little um, boys who are already starting to wrestle and show, and even in the infant stages, so that physicality, um, you know, can you encourage that? Or, you know, probably are you encouraging them to be, oh, my goodness, it's 1050, isn't it, Kyle Kegler? But y'all can use all the material out here to do questions and all that stuff after. 
Okay. okay. Well, okay. let me just jump in with that yeah. question real quick. I, physicality, I think, is very important in developing in your boys. I wrestle with my kids all the time. I even, and I know there's people with different things on like play fighting and stuff. I do little kung fu things with them. But what it's a great opportunity to teach them is, again, self-control. Because we, when we do it, they're not allowed to, one, hit in private parts. It's also, if it hurts somebody, they've gone too far. So they're having to learn restraint. But I let them wrestle. I wrestle with them. I let them tackle me. Um, and so I think it's, it's okay as long as, you know, you, the, heart isn't, the heart isn't, you know, it's coming from a, not a, an aggressive, I want to hurt somebody, I'm fighting for my own. If it's just wrestling, I think that's great and that's to develop. And it's, again, opportunity to teach it.